Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. We're here in season five, and the topic this year is shifting from defense to offense. And I really can't think of a better person to have with me today. One, a person who I really, really appreciate and respect. And also, we've never really had a, a doctor with us. So we have Dr. Aaron Wenzel, founder and CEO of Brentwood MD, a concierge medical practice in Brentwood, Tennessee. Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Anytime, Gary. I appreciate the, the invitation. We've known each other again. A lot of people that I do know come through Strategic Coach, and you're no exception with that. But I've really found, and I, I kind of blow a little smoke your way, but I really find people who are in in professional practices have a hard time being in business, understanding the not only the practicing of medicine, but being in the business practice. And they don't usually stick around in Strategic Coach very long because I, I don't know how to sort my time. I don't know how to do those things. But you've really stuck around and, and stayed with it. What What was it that you saw to want to get you into the program because it, it takes a certain mindset to do that and then continue to stay with it, Aaron. What was that? That's a really good question. I think one of the things that I've come to grips with about me is that I'm just a little different amongst my colleagues. For a long time, I saw it as kind of a weakness or a, a vulnerability or a you know something to be not proud of, but almost like a deficiency that I had these other interests and these other capabilities. But as I've come into the market and learning how to be an entrepreneur and a great physician, it turns out that these things that I really saw as you know deficiencies were possibly my superpower. And I came across Dan Sullivan's teachings and strategic coach. And for quite some time, I would consume. And in the early days, it really did shape the way I thought and helped me avoid a lot of mistakes. And when I got to the point where I could justify the investment, I, I knew I wanted to invest in strategic coach. And so by the time I was able to, I, I was, there was a lot of momentum already behind it. And then of course, being in your room, I, I've just, I'm growing and, and I, I feel like I'm refining my thinking and, and I see the fruits in my practice. I see it with my team. I see it in my home life. I see it in my own personal bandwidth. I mean, I think for a living, I don't dig ditches, right? So I, I make decisions and I think I find a lot of the strategic coach tools around entrepreneurship, organizational thinking and making decisions, it translates very well into the way I would sit with you as a patient one-on-one -on -one to think through options to jointly make decisions that have to do with your health. So I think I'm a little bit of an oddball combined <laughs> with I'm in a field where it actually in practice works really well and strategic coach has just been a nice environment for me to be nurtured. And I think that's why I stay. Well, you know, I one thank you very much, and I totally, I, I totally agree with you in that respect. But I also think that's that's part of what has filtered into your practice, and that you talked about your more thinking. And I would, I might go out on a limb here for all the doctors and practitioners who might be listening. I think they might value themselves more for the things that they do than they think about. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I have observationally, as I've gone through all of my academics and my training, and even in my professional life, I find the majority of my colleagues in medicine really have a significant portion of their identity wrapped in their profession, where I just don't. I mean, I, I am a physician, it's what I do, but it's not who I am. And, and so I, I just feel like there's this beautiful dance for me between who I am and what I do. 
and I honor both sides of those things. And I'm able to kind of like be fully me and fully be a physician, but I don't ever get confused. If being a physician was ever taken away from me, I'm still fully Aaron and I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to make that work. Wow. That, that's, that's so profound. I guess I remember I'm an engineer by training and so I'm a chemical engineer. I never practiced engineering. And part of it was, I, I, I sort of joke, I wouldn't want to trust any building that I built, you know, kind of put together. I'd be better not doing it. But I put myself, because engineers also put themselves into doing. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the things that I've been saying lately, but I've always stressed the thinking side of it. And so, and when I was with, when I was with DuPont for many years, I remember when you had great credibility because you walked into somebody's office and you had the oval, the DuPont oval to put there. And then I realized when I left DuPont and I had my own name on the card to kind of go, who the hell are you? Because you walked in with everybody with the, with the oval on there. And, you know, you had to go build your own identity. And so I really, what you said is really, really important because you have an identity that's outside of that practice. And I, and I think that that gives you a lot more depth than you, we said before we got going here, how much you care and you care about people. And that shows, and that shows, that shows us the person. And you're able to use your your medical training to be able to bring that for more, I think, more holy into the practice that you have. I'd hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. So, what got you? What got you into all this? You know, you started out maybe a bit of your history. How did you get to where you are at Brentwood MD? How did that come about? Well, I took the road less traveled. Am I surprised by what you've already said? <laughs> I was completely uninspired as a young man. All I wanted to do was play sports and go to the beach. I grew up in Southern California. It's the oldest of three children and was a career underachiever. I graduated near bottom of my class coming out of high school. I never took any college preparatory exams, SAT, ACT. I just simply stopped going to high, like high school just ended. And then I started working. And I joined the military, and I think in the U.S. Army, I, I grew up really fast. When I turned 19, I was overseas, and really in a, I found myself in a, in a really critical, pivotal moment in my life where I made the first of several really good decisions in a row, and that was that I needed to stop feeling sorry for myself because no one else is feeling sorry for me. So as soon as I could stop doing that, I, I could move along. And then I realized that, if I wanted to make something of my life in 1992, the only way to really do that was through, I had to figure out the school game. And that really resonated with me because I loved sports and I loved games, but I had never thought of school as a game before. And so I I embarked on a journey to figure out the school game as a, as a 20-year-old man who had never had any success in academics before. And then medicine kind of found me, Gary. I mean, obviously- Wow, that's great. I thought I was gonna be a business major, you know, I was studying, I was working in sales and, and kind of thinking I'm going to do the the business thing. And, and so for my science credit, I took a, a chemistry class, <laughs> which probably isn't what you want to take if you're just trying to check a box to get your science out of the way. And I was absolutely captivated by the science, which led me to another, which led me to another. And it was a process of breaking down limiting beliefs that medicine was only for smart kids and I wasn't a smart kid. But yet, every time I went away from it, I kept getting drawn back to it and I craved it. I longed for it. It was always there. I tried to put something else there and it just wouldn't satisfy me. 
Long story short, I, I squeaked into medical school, as I say, and really started hitting my stride coming out of training and in residency. I was chief resident. But bringing this back to why I do and how I do what I do, I almost walked away from medicine in my third year of residency. I, I did primary care family medicine as my formal training. I was selected as chief resident, which basically means you're voted amongst from your colleagues and your faculty that you know, you're a leader amongst your, your peers. And it really bothered me because I was simultaneously having this internal conversation where I was noticing all of my patients were getting sicker. And it was a really hard thing to accept that I was being celebrated when virtually all of my examples of people who I'd been taking care of for over two years, all of their diabetes and hypertension and weight and depression and chronic fatigue and sleep apnea and cancer, all, everything just got worse. How is it that I'm doing a great job? And it dawned on me that I thought I was doing healthcare, but we really don't have healthcare in the US anyway. We have sick care. The entire model is designed to keep you from dying, but not really fix you. Right. And there are a lot of factors that go into that. And I don't think that that was the intent, but it's certainly some version of that at scale. We, we, if you want to be healthier, you can't go into the current healthcare system and expect to actually get healthy because unless you, they're only there if you get sick. Right. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Along my journey, I came across something called concierge medicine, and I did a little bit of research on it, and I couldn't believe that it was real. And I thought, my goodness, if, if this is something that people are actually doing this, th this was a model that was made for me. And it took me about two years, and I transitioned. I, I didn't take any family medicine jobs out of residency. I finished my program, and I went right into emergency medicine. And I did that for 13 years. I ran an emergency department for the last four years. I've now retired from the emergency department, but it gave me another skill set as I built this practice out because I am completely outside of anything. I'm not beholden to the sick care model. One thing on my mind and that are my members. And, and so our values and goals from the very beginning can be aligned. And, and I always say that's where the magic is, is when a doctor patient relationship only has two stakeholders in that relationship the doctor and the patient, magical things happen. Yep. And so that's that's a very short version of an extremely long story. Well, yeah, thank you for that. You know, but it's so important because the journeys that we go through really shape us. And as you say, you know, we don't get there in a straight line. We don't get there in a straight path. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about your path, I was thinking about mine and School was never my biggest thing, but I just knew that I need to get my box checked. My father said, go ahead and be an engineer and get your MBA and then you're set, you know, and I did all that. And I came out of school and I go, now what? <laughs> like, what am I going to do? Do? do with this now? And chemistry is something that I studied, you know, I did chemical engineering. So I, mm -hmm. I, I got, oh. that. but what I found about that and about through the study was engineering was about solving problems figuring out what it was and solving problems. And so that, and when I look back on that, I've always stayed in that area. Did I ever think I'd be a coach, which I have now been for 25 plus years? No, it was never there. Th that's not a straight route. Like that's not, you know, no. how can you be an engineer and you can be thinking like this stuff because I'm not, I'm not an engineer by thinking. So no. you're talking about being a fish out of water, you feel like that. But what it does do, which it's done for you, is you get to see things that other people don't get to see. You get to see the world because you come at it from a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, as you talked about the 
the medical system. I won't call it the healthcare system, the medical system. Canada operates very similarly. That's where I am. I know you're down in, in, in Brentwood, Tennessee. And so if you're really ill and problem, they're going to fix you and they'll take everything. But to be proactive about anything, not a chance, you know, and, yeah. and that's in our own hands personally to do that. And, and that's what I, you know, I've, one, we, we talked a bit about that in terms of my own, my own health. And I'm very fortunate to, that I've been able to maintain good health, but it's, it's something I'm conscious of and what I, I work on and do, but I all know, also know it has to be outside the health system. And so in our, in, in our discussion, in terms of the, the direction for the podcast was from defense to offense, I think you described that really well, that our, that our, our, our healthcare systems, medical care systems are really just defensive. You got a problem, that's it. But if you want to look after yourself, you've got to be, you've got to be proactive and and take and take that route. hundred so, percent. So let's help people on that journey. What do they have to do? What what do they need to do? What kind of decisions? What kind of mindset do they do people have to have to be able to say, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go take responsibility for my own health? Because that's that's not that's not normal thinking either. It's for that. No, it's counter herd thinking for sure. I think they have to want better. I, I, I think you and I could want it for the world. I can't want it more than someone else. I always say that to my team as we're dealing with tough cases where we, we will lead them right to the work to execute the thing and, and the thing just doesn't happen. And we find ourselves, why is it that we want it more than they do? You know, have we communicated in fact, like we retrace our steps a couple of times, but at the end of the day, there are some times where it's, you know, people have to want it. And so I think if someone is listening to this and they have a, if, if they feel friction, if they audit their kind of current state of health and the trajectory of health, are they mapping their ideal self? If they're feeling some friction in that thought, then that's a good place to start. You should make a decision to be okay with wanting something better. And then I think I always say the journey starts with finding your team. I mean, once you've made the decision and the commitment yeah. to a better version of yourself or a different path or a different outcome, you need to make sure that people and relationships and tools and resources around you are aligned with that. And so finding your team, you may have a great physician that you're just not calling. Call them. You may have access to your physician and you've felt for years like a number, they don't even know your name. You've seen them for 15 years and they still introduce themselves like it's the first time you've met. You may not have the right team. And so finding your team is very, very important. And I would just simply say a physician where your values and goals can be aligned from day one is a great place to start. So I think that's enough to get going. Because if you get alignment of the doctor and the patient with similar goals and values, oh my gosh. And, and the patient is bringing the, I want to, and the doctor is saying, hallelujah, I, I am hunting for people like you because I can't wait to take people where, are, where they are and help them figure out which path to get them where they want to be. That's what I would say. Okay. Well, this, thank you. Two things I want to address for you, though, going through this is that we were talking before we get started about all the people that you'd really like to help. And, and then you go and say, well, a concierge medical practice has a you know, certain connotation, there's a cost to go and do that. But I, you brought up for something that's really, really important is we can only help people who want to be helped. We can't, as you say, we can't want for them. 
and I'm going to take it out to the medical profession. I'm going to put it into how you know me as a coach. And, and I remember, because when I was asked to be a coach, I went back through my life and say, what, how can I justify myself being in this role? You know, am I really a fraud or what, you know, how can I stand up in front of everybody? And I went back. So I'm in my, I mean, probably forties or at that point. Yeah. Early forties. And I went right back to when I was 17. And I remember talking to this guy on the phone who's a son of a Baptist minister or whatever, and you'd think they'd know something. And, and I talked to this guy over and over again, and, and nothing ever changed. Hmm. Nothing ever changed. He, he just wanted to talk and complain. He didn't want to get better. And I learned that because I, I didn't get paid for any of these things, and I wasn't looking to be paid. But I learned that you can only help people who want to be helped, and yes. they have to come along that journey with you. It's a, it's a joint journey. And so I think that's, to me, it's okay. It's, it's really okay that there's, that there's a cost to it because there needs to be a commitment. You're committed. When somebody shows up to you, you and your team is already committed, but you can't do anything unless they're committed. That's exactly right. People vote with their dollars. People, people care and pay far more attention to things that they have some skin in the game. It's it's just part. It's not right, wrong, good, or bad. It's just human psychology. Things that are right in front of us and are available with no effort or investment, it could be the greatest thing in the world, and you won't even look at it with the same lens as as if you're invested in it. It's just kind of a law of hu- human nature. It is, and 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 we don't have to. And we don't really have to make any apologies for that. If we decide to donate and we decide our time or donate whatever efforts, that's a different choice that we 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 do yes. that. But if we want to help people and they want to help to do that. The second thing that I want to address, you talked about having the right team. And I had a I had a great doctor for a long time. We got knew each other really well. And I could bring things to him. I could because I'm an experimenter with things. And mm-hmm. I I would I was given some statin drug for a long time and I was taking it and I didn't like taking 20 milligrams and I cut it back. And then, you know, finally I said, I'm going to stop taking this for a couple of years because I forgot what my baseline is. And he watched my numbers go up and he said, what's going on here? I said, well, I stopped taking it for a couple of years. Now here's what I want to try. <laughs> and he would go along with me. He would go along yeah. with me. And then I brought another, another naturopath who is much more aligned and attuned. And then my doctor retired and I've got this guy and I'm, I'm, he knows my name now, but it's really just a number. And if I, would suggest anything to him outside of the the normal realm of what the the healthcare system will provide in our province here in Ontario. It just doesn't resonate. So I just don't bother anymore. And so I go I have to go looking for another team. So I totally get the fact that you've got to find the right people on your team that will come along with you. And maybe not everybody's like me, but I don't gather tons of information, but I like to talk to people. I like to hear things. I like to check things out. And I like to hear it more than once before I'll move in any direction. I think most people just want to be heard and people deserve the opportunity to have conversations about subjects that they're interested in. And and if they're interested in improving their health and going on offense with their health, and they're not in a healthcare team where those conversations are welcome, encouraged, supported, entertained, the primary effort probably should be on identifying a new team. Yeah, and I and I completely agree with that. So I'm, I'm going to switch gears one more time. Something we got started that I know touches all of us, and and you've got a great podcast of the Future of Medicine podcast. I'd ask people to go and check that out, and the. You do that, but once a month on various topics. And the last one that I 
got to start to listen to before we got on this one and I'll go back and, and finish it because it was talking about cancer and, you know, you, you talked about your own, your own journey, your wife going through breast cancer a couple of times. And was it your father or your mother? My father, he passed away from esophageal cancer. He was diagnosed and passed within nine months. So it was a very, he was stolen from me pretty rapidly, completely unexpected. My wife's journey was a little different where we were also unexpected. She was 36 years old. She was diagnosed. And so we had a much longer journey and I'm very grateful and and proud to say that she's doing well and, and, and that we believe she's healed, but it could have been a very, very different story. How did you deal with that? I mean, cause again, you saw your father go through that. I presume that was first before your wife or is it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. So what happened when your when your when your wife got diagnosed with that? What, what was the process that you, you two went through? That's only if you're yeah. comfortable. I don't want to push it yeah, down. No, like no, I'm done. totally comfortable. Yeah. I, I just, I'm trying to f- think about where to pick up the story. I mean, she was in between OBGYNs at the time her her that she loved, but she had some health issues. She had to step down. So she was in a couple year hiatus where she didn't have a GYN. And when we came across this diagnosis, I effectively became, I got to wear a new hat as a husband. And that is I get to help point guard her through this. So there was an even deeper, more intense layer to the journey because sometimes I, w- I needed to be her husband sometimes I needed to be her doctor sometimes I just needed to be her therapist or her pastor so like there were a lot of moving emotional pieces through the thing but we were we were completely taken back by by this just shock but I have to give my wife credit I mean she is an all-time great offensive player I mean once the I mean, there was a couple of weeks of like, I cannot, but the disbelief, the normal stages of shock and grief. But once she kind of dusted herself off, it was remarkable to see how courageous she was through the offense. Like, I didn't ask for this fight, but this fight showed up on my doorstep. Right. And she took a couple of weeks to put her gloves on and she kicked the door down and she just, she just was throwing haymakers. And really did an incredible job of getting through the disease once. And then two years later, she was re-diagnosed. Similar thing, went right back out the door and just started swinging for the... And, and did an amazing job. And it was impressive, the, her ability to immediately go on offense. It was a pressure cooker for us as a relationship, as any big trauma in a relationship. It will, it will bond you where you didn't have bond before in areas where you were having challenge, it will heighten those, it will force you to resolve, or those things could potentially be devastating for the relationship. Thankfully for us, we, we, we glued to each other. And so we did well with that, but it was, it was remarkably alarming to have that kind of diagnosis that young, you immediately think about the kids and you go through chemotherapy and mommy losing her hair and Thankfully, I think our children really gave us an outlet to to take our attention away from our selfish kind of what does this mean for me? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for us? And we collectively, how are we going to manage this so the boys do okay? You know, how can we steward their emotional process? And are they thriving? And 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 they they did great. And so we had we had eyes on them. It was a team effort, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing that that personal story. And it just 
takes me back to, as I said, this friend of mine who's been fighting it for off and on for 25 years, Chris Taylor, and he's on a podcast here that came out back in, in July. And, and he said two things that really stuck with me. He goes, you know, he says, he says, I'm going to be like my blood type, be positive, <laughs> which he was all the way through. And That's the other great. thing he'd do is he'd get up in the morning, he'd look in the mirror and he goes, today's not the day. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, just listening to your wife's story and Chris's story, just how important it is to be positive through all of this. I think there's so much energy that 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 comes from from making that happen. And again, I apologize for taking you down through that, but I just no, it's I, okay. I, 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 I just feel it's really in, what's inspiring. But it's also important to tell the story because we're all affected by it. Both of my parents died of cancer. I've, as I told you, I've outlived my mother now who died of colon cancer and my father died of pancreatic cancer inside of eight weeks, but he was in his early 80s. So it, it's all around us. My father-in-law had, you know, thoracic you know, mm-hmm. it was cut from mm-hmm. one side to the other and all of them notes taken out. And so, yeah, so it, it, we all get there. And you know, Gary, if I can say something, because I think it, it, it has changed me as who I am as a human. Oh, and, and then obviously as a, as a physician, none of us escapes death as much as we, even as an offensive minded person that we take our health on offense, none of us are promised tomorrow. I, I could be hit by a bus on the way home tomorrow. When when you have your young bride before you and you think she might be taken away from me and there's nothing I can do about it and I fix things for a living, it's a very interesting place to be completely helpless. Helpless in the sense, not that I cannot do for myself, but that I cannot really change the outcome of what is happening. I neither deserve what's going on nor can I really control what happens. You realize, wow, whether there's cancer or not, so much of our life we put in the hands of strangers. You know, I passed a thousand strangers on the way to work today that could have hit me and taken me off the planet. There are moments in every day we see, and and this is largely shaped by my history of as an emergency physician. I've just seen thousands of ways people can die. And we never know our exit. We never know when, we never know how. But none of us escape it. It's an incredibly beautiful, like a serenity, where we're going to be offensive-minded and we're, we're going to plan for to control the controllable and manage the non-controllable. It helps to take some of the, the pressure of like, I have to have the right path, the right everything, because the reality is the only thing that's real is right now. You know, the future is not real, the past 80% of it's not even real. It's just our version of the past. <laughs> right in this moment, you and I are talking. This is the only thing that's real. I believe it's changed me for the better, and it helps me help my patients think about things, whether it's navigating a new diagnosis that is scary or whether it's navigating the next 12 months of our health plan and they're kicking butt and, and all of our tests look great. Managing mindset, managing the way someone thinks so that we can have optimal ways of feeling so that our experience is optimal is is super important. Well, I was about to say, and you have said it for me, you've just really shaped how you deal with your patients and how you, and how you feel for them. And also it's not clinical with you. You know, that, that, as you said, that the, the actual doing part of the medicine comes after all the, all the other pieces that are up front. 
to get where they are, what their state is, what they what they need, what's the outcome that they're looking for, what do they want out of this sure. process? Why do and, they want it? And why do they want it? And I, I, you know what? That's probably one I did. We never really had these conversations, and we didn't have the time when we were the others. But well, I really appreciated you. There was, there is something, there is something fundamentally different about you, and profoundly different in terms of how you deal with that. And I, I got to believe that just carries right through everybody in your practice and the kind of people that you attract as, as members to be part of your concierge medical facility. I think so. <laughs> I'm I'm a very blessed man. I, I have amazing members. Our team is growing. I have an amazing team. And it's been great as we've added a physician and, and more care to our care team to see them step into this and who they're becoming and how they get to practice medicine. And to see it impact them is really a beautiful thing as a business owner for myself that is like, gosh, this is this is a really neat thing, not just for me selfishly, but for people who get to and bilateral, right? It's the it's the care team. I see them really thriving, but I also see the members that are total strangers to me. But the, I see that relationship and that thriving is really really great. It's it's a it's a magical kind of way to experience medicine, both as a patient and as a physician. I have to tell you. Well, you know that you're going to attract the best people, not only as your physicians and to the staff, but to your to your members because they're going to be all drawn to your why. And that why is really clear. And I'm sure your whole, your whole team knows this and what's it about. And I can't imagine that that stays a secret just with you. So that's <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You're, you're, you're going to share all those things. This conversation has gone in probably a completely different direction than I planned. And we thought at the beginning, and it's been awesome. And I know I, I, I want to do this again, because there's so much more that you have to have to offer as we're at this point and, and thinking about, as we think about the people that you care about and the health that you'd like to bring out for those who want to do this, what, what would be important to tell them in terms of what they, as they think about this and they're listening to it and deciding that, yeah, we've turned, we've turned, hopefully we've turned a few people crank a little bit to say, yeah, I really want this now, but I didn't know how to go down that path and get there because it is kind of scary. We, we get trusted, but what, what would you like to tell them? That you don't have a more important asset than your health. You know, we've all been told time is our greatest asset, but I've seen time without health. And I would debate it's not all that valuable. Yeah. And so if there's something inside of you where you don't feel like you're walking out an optimal plan for your greatest asset, I would encourage you to to think about that, put in the work, the the 20 to 50 hours of research to find your person and make that investment. There are all kinds of investment entry points, you know, based on your budget, based on your goal, based on practical reasons, like what's available. You know, you, you may have to figure all the, the math out, but but we pay for our health now or we pay for it later. I really do believe that. And there is something to investing in one's own health beyond whatever is just available without paying for it. I think it's a mindset shift that if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting. And, and, and what is available for the masses is better than nothing. But if you want better, it's going to require an investment. So, Yeah, I, t I totally agree with you. And, and my daughter, who has her own, does corporate wellness with organizations. Mm -hmm. And she always says, you might have seen her a couple of those energizer breaks that yeah, we did early on. And, mm -hmm. and she always says that health is, what, health is wealth. 
And I totally get that because I don't want to be, the time without health is not going to be something I'm interested in. I can tell you that. <laughs> no, and I, I have the good fortune to take care of some ridiculously successful people. And I've heard it said from multiple people that a man will spend his whole life trying to build wealth, but he'll give it all back in an instant to recapture his health once it's lost. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it, it has to be invested if living a long time well is a priority. It just has to be, there's an investment that has to take place. And and I'll, and I pre- totally agree and I appreciate, and that's it from my own perspective, is that whenever you make that decision and decide, just start down the path and it doesn't have to be great and grandiose, overly no. expensive. No. Start, start making it a step at a time as I started in my, probably my 50s to, to do that. And with some help from Christy and I, have my goal was always to be better five years from now than I was five years ago. So at 70, I want to be better than I was at 65 and 65. I want to be better than I was at 55. And that was just really simple. So steps along the way, that was my way. Progress um, like you coach, right? Yeah, I mean, there's just, just noticing progress and creating momentum. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to stay on offense when you can see the progress when you can see yeah. the momentum. Well, Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you thank so you, much Aaron. for sharing your personal stories with us as well. I do appreciate that. We've got more to talk about and we'll get this at another time. But for today, to everyone, please stay safe and stay healthy. Until next time.